My name is Christina Crook, and I am the author of The Joy of Missing Out. I want to welcome you to the JomoCast, a podcast for founders and creators seeking joy in a digital age. Jomo is the joy of missing out on the right things. Things like toxic hustle, comparison, and digital drain to make space for life-giving commitments that bring us peace, meaning, and joy. Jacqueline Fish is an intuitive writing coach and leader of the Write Like a Mofo community. She helps writers make progress on their passion projects and creative business owners sound more human in their writing. Before launching her writing and coaching business, Jack spent 13 years working in corporate communications and management consulting for clients including Fortune 500 companies and the U.S. government. As a freelance copywriter, she's helped dozens of clients, tech startups, life and business coaches, creatives, and more learn how to communicate more authentically and stand out in a busy online world. After bouncing around with two passports between Toronto and a handful of states, she's decided that home is where the people are. She finds home with her husband, two kids, a dog, a cat, no houseplants, and most of her sanity. Her book, Unfussy Life, will teach you the lessons Jack learned through those years of fast pivots, to care less about what others think, trust your inner knowing, and embrace transformation. And not just once, but again and again. Our messy, chaotic, beautiful world will keep requiring you to change. So why not do it on purpose? I hope you enjoy this episode of the JomoCast. The Joy of Being Unfussy. Well, welcome, Jack. Thank you. So excited to be here. Where am I speaking to you from today? I am in Florida. I just moved to Florida six months ago. Loving every second of it. What made you choose Florida? Weather and the timing of a transition. Our most recent, we've moved around a lot as I think you already know, Mm -hmm. we were moving from New Jersey, which was pretty restrictive the past year or so. We have my mother-in-law here, cost of living adjustment. Florida seemed like a really good choice so far. So far it has been. Nice. Well, I'm going to jump right into a few rapid fire questions with you. On a Saturday morning, where can we find you? Walking or moving (laughs) and then drinking coffee. And then the coffee. coffee. Oh yes. Coffee later. I like to get up and move right away, like without thinking about it. And where are we walking these days? My new neighborhood. We just moved into a new house two weeks ago. So getting to know our new neighborhood, walking around, walking the dog, lots of great little ponds and neighborhood lakes around here. Lovely. What gets you up on Monday morning? Excitement for the day ahead. I love my work. I love what I get to do and who I get to work with. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is, what you do? I do a couple different things. So I'm a copywriter. I write for other business owners, like website copy, sales copy, stuff like that. I write my own stuff, like I write my own blog, recently published a book. And I also run an online writing community where I help other creatives and business owners get the time and space to actually sit down and write. Love it. So Monday morning, you're raring to go. What's one thing people wouldn't know if they followed you online? They wouldn't know. Oh boy. (laughs) This is a tricky one. I feel like I share 
so many things that if they dug through, they would <laughs> they would probably find it. Like, yeah, know that. I know that. Uh, maybe a surprising one might be that I used to work in an auto repair shop. So I know more about mm. cars than the average bear. <laughs> that is interesting. I like that one. That's a whole conversation for another day. That'd be a fun podcast, actually, like all the jobs we've had <laughs> over the course of our lives. Yes. First jobs. Cool. Thank you for that. And finally, what brings you the most joy in life and how do you prioritize it? The most joy? That's such a tricky question because there's so many things and they all blend together. And they can change. That's okay. Just one thing. One thing that brings me joy. Being in the water. Hmm. Now that I live near the Gulf of Mexico, if I can be in the water or buy it, I am happy. Awesome. 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 I want to jump right into it because we've got lots to talk about. I've so enjoyed your new book, Unfussy, an intuitive approach to navigating change. And the inspiration for this book came out of your own unfussy journey. Tell us about how that began and where it's led you to today. Thank you for for mentioning that. It started almost by accident. And it wasn't until I paused and looked back at all the changes that had been racking up over my life that I was like, oh, I've actually handled and navigated more change than a lot of people have. And because you're in it, and it was it was my life, I just thought that people moved all the time, changed jobs, <laughs> got laid off, started businesses. I was like, doesn't everybody do this? And it was when I, it was reflected back to me initially from my editor. She's like, no, these stories are a lot more unique than you might imagine. And they're powerful. So dig into them. And some stories were challenging to pull out in the writing of the book, it didn't initially start as a book about change. When I first started writing, the project started as self-development. I thought I was sharing advice on how to be more unfussy and how to live a simpler life because I'd done those things through moving, having kids, all those things that happen and noticing those moments. And I let the book sit for a year before I did anything with it. And then I dug back in. It took about a year and a half until it clicked that it was a memoir, Mm. more memoir than self-development. And my editor, as in my rough draft, she was like, this is such great advice. Tell us the story of why you believe this. I'm like, oh, okay, I can do that. Or tell me more of this story. This story was great. Let's do more of this. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) This is not what I think it is. That's awesome. And that's often the case with creative projects, isn't it? It's sort of you've got to seed an idea of what it might become, but you do really need to be open to where that project leads you. Exactly. I know that's been true in my own creative process as well. How would you or how do you define unfussy? It might be simpler to start with what fussy is. I like to think of a fussy baby, a colicky, fussy, never happy, never satisfied baby. I mean, there's probably... A baby might be a different kind of analogy because they probably have some needs that need to be met first. But if you think of someone who's always complaining, never happy with their situation, never in a good place, which means they're not present. They're focused on stress, thinking about tomorrow, thinking about what's going on, what happened yesterday. Unfussy is rolling with it. I like that. It's a process of surrender, letting things happen and choosing in action too, seeing what's unfolding and choosing your next best step. Do you have internet fatigue? Are you bored of doom scrolling? Do you wish to live life outside of an online algorithm? Do you wish for better conversations? 
Do you want to get your creativity back? Then my new course, The Jomo Method, is for you. This program aims to be a helping hand to anyone wanting to take a step back and consciously change up their online habits. A year ago, I first opened the doors to a small group of students and have since helped designers, marketers, educators, and executives around the world. People working at Shopify and Adobe, people in Australia and Portugal, Brazil, and the USA. I've helped them take back control of their digital lives to do their best work and live with more joy. Do you like the sound of that? The Jomo Method is built right out of the insights I've gained over the past 10 years studying the intersection of technology and joy. The truth is, people who are happy with technology use it differently. And I want to show you how. Learn more by joining today at christinacrook.com forward slash waitlist. That's christinacrook.com forward slash waitlist. I can't wait to see you there. What I really like about Unfussy is we hear a lot about like decluttering, minimizing, but it always seems to be around objects, yeah. belongings. And what I like about Unfussy is that it's an approach to living. Was that a conscious choice on your part? Not initially. And I think it started with objects. It was objects that led me to see how it applied to the rest of life. So it applied to objects initially when moving. So quick story on how I got to Florida. I grew up just outside of Toronto, met someone from New York, moved to New York, got married, moved to Indianapolis, Chicago, Toronto, Chicago, New Jersey, Florida. And that's in a little over 17 years of marriage. And it was that first move from when we lived in Indianapolis to moving to the city in Chicago. We had bought a house, we had furnished a house, and then we were downsizing. And we invited all our friends over to sell everything. And initially there was those pangs of, I can't let that $60 piece of art <laughs> go that I got at, I don't know, Home Goods or something like that. Like, I love that. It's very important. <laughs> I love that painting. I love this table. And it's like, what does this table mean? Does it define me? Like, does my stuff communicate who I am? And it was like, no. So we moved with a mattress and like our clothes and personal belongings. And that was my first lesson. And every subsequent move, especially moving countries, it's easier to travel with less. And moving with less clutter and less stuff is absolutely so much easier. I just moved, so I can attest to this very much. <laughs> yes. But how did it translate for you? How did you move from it being about objects to being an approach to living? Because I do sense that and read that in your writing around the way that you parent, the way that you build relationships, the way that you build your professional life. So how is that unfussy approach now come to govern all the other aspects of your life? I think it comes down to presence and being fully present in your life. And it's this over a series of lessons, like watching the kids sports and not being fully present on my phone or trying to finish up some work. And until they reminded me in an unkind way, there's a story in the book on that, that it smacks you in the face. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm not being present. This is, this is not the right approach. Mm. I had also started to embrace that unfussy approach 
food was another big thing for me. I initially started writing as a food blogger and I transitioned our family overnight to a plant-based diet. And I saw how fussy it could be when changing everything on your plate and then cooking. And then I was like, throw out the recipes, be present, play and have fun with that. And that translated into so many other areas because if at one point, if I was being too focused on the food, like, oh no, we can't eat this. It's not healthy. There's too much sugar in it. I'm stressed about it. And if I'm stressed about it, I'm missing the point. So food led to being more mindful, meditation practice, being mindful in business, showing up fully with everything you do. And it's the process. It's not like one and done. There's no arrived. Indeed. Yeah. Oh, I want to be that thing. I want to be whatever that person is. And then you find out the reality of their life, whether it be a Broadway actor or a prima ballerina or an author. You're like, hmm, I'm not sure that that's what I want to do with my life, peeling back those layers. But I love just that reminder of being unfesting. I think that's an awesome approach. Even it's not something I talk a lot about on the podcast, but even as women, just being less fussy in the way that we show up to our work, it's sort of universally true that men kind of show up in a room or are more comfortable walking into a room sort of just as they are, you know, you're going to give me this promotion, I'm going to land this project, because here I am, clearly, that is going to happen for me. And I'm finding that actually making choices to move quicker, to deliver a little bit in a a less fussy way in my professional Mm -hmm. and in creative contributions is really empowering me to do more faster And I actually have a lot more joy in doing it. Yeah, that's amazing. It's a quiet confidence. Yes. It's that je ne sais quoi that shows up and helps you go after what you want. So perfectionism is coming up as well. Because if you're a total perfectionist and procrastinating, not doing the things that you say you want to do, it's hard to show up confident and powerful. Which translates really nicely into you're right like a mofo. (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> if you're writing like a mofo, which is the writing community that Jack runs, there's no time for <laughs> no. fussiness, is there? It's getting those words down on the page. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So writing like a mofo is showing up, writing fast, and it's part turning off your brain and letting the words come out with the showing up in that unfussy way for writing. I see it in writing where people try to get out a final draft, something that's amazing and ready to go, which as you know, your book is not a first draft. It saw so many iterations, so many edits. I wish it saw even more. (laughs) The first one. But this is it. At some point you have to ship it. Yeah, exactly. You have to get it out. I hear people talking about, I need to find my writing voice and they get stuck trying to find it all in their head and you're not going to find it up there. Mm. It needs to come out. And when you're in that relaxed, unfussy, calm state and let the words pour out, even if it's something simple like setting a 20-minute timer, writing as fast as you can, no judgment, no editing, and then putting it down and coming back to it later, like not judging what's coming out right away. Journaling is another practice that plays into that, which I think supports all Mm -hmm. unfussy life in general. I really love Julia Cameron's practice of morning pages. It is. I was just going to say. Hands down the best thing. And I recommend it six times a week. People are like, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. Try morning pages. (laughs) I'm stressed. Try morning pages. It gives so much clarity. I love that. 
you regularly schedule unplugged days. And the reason why I discovered this is because you notify people through your email signature, which I got. What can you tell us about these unplugged days and what is the purpose that they serve for you? So as a business owner, it can be easy to be available at all hours of the day. And and I have a service-based business, so I'm serving clients. And if people are looking for me or wanting to get a reply quickly, and, and I've always, I think corporate trained me in this, to reply really quickly. Your performance was evaluated on how quickly you got back to people in emails. So my unplugged days, I'm letting people know that I'm not going to be in my inbox. I pause my inbox. I use a tool called Boomerang and Gmail. It is gold because I know the emails aren't going to come through and I'm not going to see them and think about responding to them. So it's so easy to like you're on your phone, check reading your email, knowing you're not going to respond and you're using that mental energy when you could instead have time to do email. So letting people know I'm unplugged and then depending on the length of time, I'll set up an out of office responder that says why I'm unplugged. And often it's like I'm taking Friday off to play. I'm going to the water. I'm going kayaking. I also take off every year on my birthday. So if it's my birthday message that people get when they email me, I'm taking my birthday off. Here's what I'm doing. What do you want to celebrate? Does it say, and you should too? Yeah. That's such a good idea. Yeah. Everyone should do that. I block my calendar every year. So no meetings get scheduled. And the unplugged days, I'm glad you brought it up because a lot of people notice it. And I've started seeing people do it themselves. And they're like, thank you for the reminder that I need time off. And even if I'm still working, like if I'm writing, I'm doing something I'm choosing and it's not everyone else's demands on my time. I love that bit about giving other people permission. I'm actually writing it down because I do feel like I actually have that on my autoresponder when I go on holidays, a line about how when we give ourselves permission to rest and take a break, really you're giving other people permission to do the same. And I love that you're seeing that trickle down into other people putting that same practice into use in their own life because, you know, we all have to find our own strategies around how to manage technology well. And that's why this podcast exists is because every person navigates this differently. Every person has different professional and personal demands on their lives and they're always changing. And so as much as people want hard and fast rules or practices that are going to like stand the test of time, that's not really how this works. You find, you test things out. And so I love that Unplugged Days. I encourage other people to try that out as well. And I'll put in the show notes also, whatever references we make, like to Boomerang, for example, I'll put that in the show notes as well. What other boundaries do you have in place around tech as a writer, coach, and online business owner? Also related to email, when I onboard a new client, I send a welcome PDF that tells them when I'm available. Like you will only hear from me typically between eight and four, actually, but that's constantly changing with school. So sometimes it's like eight and two. And on the odd chance I am catching up and doing a little work in the evening, I don't send emails in the evening. Mm. I'll schedule the email to go out in the morning. So managing the flow of communication coming back to me, knowing that if I send out a bunch of things, I'm going to schedule it for the next morning. So I know it's not going to come back till then. So that's a big boundary no communicating after certain hours. Airplane mode on my phone in the evening. I still use my phone for an alarm in the morning and it's just on airplane mode. Get up, turn it off. I'm not checking email. I'm not doing any of that until I, I call it our do before list. 
we have all these things we need to do hmm. before we get on tech. Tell me more about that. I want to hear more about that. Yeah, so I do it for myself and my business and for the kids too, who are 13 and 10 at this time. So especially when we were doing distance learning, we had a list of things that they needed to do before they could go on screens. And they were things like look after the animals, eat, <laughs> move. And for a certain period of time, especially like with COVID, with everyone being home, journaling 15 minutes a day, reading for an hour, whatever that was. And then you can do whatever you need to do. Mm. And what we find is, you know, objects in motion tend to stay in motion. So what they were doing would often take longer. They wouldn't necessarily like, oh, I'm only going to read for 15 minutes. I'm going to focus and keep going because it's exciting. And in my business, especially because it can be very easy as a service-based business owner to want to people please and get client work done ahead of time and be super responsive. If I'm not practicing my creativity first and doing my writing, my blogging, my books, doing things that bring me joy, then I can't show up fully for my clients. So depending on the season I'm in throughout the year, like when I go into creation mode and I start writing a book or start working on another one, that's the first thing on my to-do list. I'll put time on the calendar every day, like an hour in the morning, something like that. It's a recurring meeting. I don't miss it. And on my paper planner, I'll plan out the time that I'm doing me stuff first. And it's like item number one, mm. write a chapter edit a chapter. It can be easy when you go into doing boundaries like that and making them big, like build website. Mm -hmm. That is so overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Move to tomorrow yeah. and move to tomorrow again and again. Yeah. But if you break it down into chunks, write bio, write email list, something like that. Very, very simple things. So there's those physical boundaries, those boundaries with tech that are so important. The only notifications on my phone ever are text messages and phone calls, nothing else. I love it. Because <laughs> it's just too much with, with all the things. No notifications ever, pausing everything, shutting things down. Even if I'm going into creation mode, I will pause my inbox. I don't think I have notifications on my computer unless I have my inbox open, pausing that so that I can focus. And then there's energetic boundaries too, hmm. which are uh, something I'm working on strengthening. So that energy of thinking about client work or thinking of something I have to do for someone all day or thinking about a challenging conversation I have to have and it's taking up space in my brain. So what that's doing is not letting me be present in my work or at home, like when I'm done working for the day too. I love that. Did you create this concept? Is this something that you learned about from somewhere else? I feel like it came up in the artist's way from Julia Cameron. And moving your energy. So going back to the example of morning pages, getting up and getting everything out, brain dumping, getting all the clutter that's up here in your head, putting it somewhere mm -hmm. so that you can focus. And then in being on Zoom, especially so much this past year and a half, I especially find if people are having a rough day or people are stressed, I can have a tendency to take on that stress mm. and it's not mine to keep. I discovered it March 2020 when I was taking on everybody's stress, trying to hold it for everyone. And I was having chest pains. And I was like, here I am Googling like COVID symptoms, chest pains. <laughs> and I realized it wasn't mine. It wasn't me. I was trying to hold everything for everyone else. Mm. So 
through some practices, some communities I'm in, working with my naturopathic doctor, who's also spiritual and teaches spiritual practices, a great energetic boundary, actually two of my favorite practices. If you're on a Zoom call and it's stressful, the left hand is receiving and the right hand gives. So the left is taking in energy and information. So if I'm taking in a stressful conversation on Zoom or someone else's bad day, I like to hold something in my left hand. So I'll hold like Hmm. a stone, a crystal, a stress ball, like it can be anything. And it's like diverting the energy there and it doesn't affect me. Interesting. Yeah. The other practice that I enjoy is if someone is, I don't want to say dumping, but they're just like venting. You can say dumping. (laughs) (laughs) We understand. They're venting, dumping. I know it has nothing to do with me. They're just letting their day Mm -hmm. go. I like to imagine a bucket in between us. They're pouring into it. And then when they're done, I like energetically give it back. It's not mine to hold on to. And it's actually doing people a disservice if I'm trying to process everyone else's emotions for them. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that image of the bucket because it's like you're bearing witness to it for them. You're witnessing, but you're not receiving. Yeah. And I think having that visual, I think for me would be really helpful. I also love that you're doing something physical when you are in those Zoom calls, because I think we often exhaust ourselves by trying to mentally pull ourselves out of states and engaging our bodies is such a powerful way of bringing us either out of or into a new state. And so I think that's a great reminder. You've got so many great suggestions. I'm I'm excited to share all of these in the notes. Such good stuff. In the book, you talk about a quote from the well-known financial coach, Dave Ramsey, where you're making the point around sort of consumption and the accumulation of stuff and keeping up with the Joneses. He says, quote, we buy stuff we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And this is definitely a quote that I've heard before. Was there a time when you were, to use your word, fussy, where you cared about keeping up with the Joneses? (sighs) Yeah, it can be so tricky. I saw it definitely growing up, like how we would acquire things and we would talk about what the neighbors had. And even a time like when we bought a new car, I was like, are the neighbors going to think of our new car? I'm like, who cares? (laughs) Like, it's crazy. Do I really care about their opinion of the car I bought? About I'm making assumptions about the assumptions they're going to make about me, about people you don't really even care about. Acquaintances on Facebook like people everywhere. And you're just like, what am I showing up for? And it's definitely realizing that it's all ego. Do I need this thing? Mm. And that came up in the purging of our stuff every time. Like, I loved this nice, well, I'm gonna say nice. We have kids, we don't buy nice furniture. (laughs) (laughs) Nice-ish. Nice-ish with kids and animals and moving so much. We buy for utility and what's necessary. Probably early in my corporate career when I was working in management consulting, like you had to dress a certain way and you had to carry a certain kind of bag. So I think probably the first time the most I've ever spent on a purse was like $400, which I know they go way up from there, but $400 for me was a lot. It was probably 2008. 
I was newish to my career, maybe a handful of years in. It was like, my purse was my status symbol. It's like my anchor. And then you like care for the purse. Do you carry it like this over your shoulder or like this in like the crook of your arm? Isn't there a thing about the women that carry them? I don't know. Here? I feel like this is something I notice <laughs> mostly in movies, but sometimes on the street where like, I didn't get this memo. Like, is this the new and important way to wear your purse? Sorry, this is like an aside, but I'm just picturing you carrying your purse right now. I am absolutely going to notice that for <laughs> the rest of the week, like where people are carrying their purse. And then realizing, I'm like, I don't need this. And also years later, having a purse stolen at the grocery store. Mm. Now I carry a crossbody bag and it's not expensive and I don't keep a lot in it because I know it doesn't matter. <laughs> so practical lessons reminding me that I don't need that stuff to impress people. Part of your unfussy approach to life is you intentionally keep some cupboards and closets empty. Why? I love this practice. It's to invite more in. It's to show the universe I have space for more. And it feels really good. Even if you just have like, I don't know, three kitchen cabinets, you're not going to stuff everything in one. But if you go through it and mindfully think like, do I need this thing? No. Okay. Then having like one shelf open, whenever you open that cabinet, that drawer, it's like, oh, there's space in here. Like so much space. So that spaciousness, like if clutter and our physical belongings are a reflection of what's going on in our brains, then having less stuff in my cabinets means there's less stuff for me to think about looking after, more space for the things that I want to do. I love that. We experience joy when we experience well-being and success sort of simultaneously. So well-being being having a positive relationship with our abilities and our limits and success just being the achievement of our goals. The key to both studies show is cultivating and sustaining warm relationships. That's the key to really having well-being and to accomplishing like true measures of success. How can being unfussy help us deepen our relationships? Great question. I think there's a couple layers to that. Going back to the Dave Ramsey quote about impressing people you don't like. So exploring who you're spending time with that you're enjoying and doing more of that, that can deepen relationships and taking a relaxed approach. And part of it is, I think, is also disconnecting from what's going on in my brain and being more present with other people. It's so easy. An example is when you meet someone new, they tell you their name and two seconds later, you forget it. It's like, well, that's because I was too busy in my head thinking of something else. So it's a practice to, in any engagement, just stopping, breathing. And I think it also comes back to the body. If I'm present in my body, I'm going to be paying more attention. I loved your response. And I think for me, it's there's a lot of shoulds. So I don't know if you relate to this, but like I should call my mom <laughs> on a regular basis or I should keep up with friend X, Y, and Z, or I should and. I think an unfussy approach to relationships, it gives me permission to lean into joy. Like I want to spend time with so-and-so because it feels really good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm just going to do more of that and not sort of worry about like checking boxes or the shoulds of the world in terms of, you know, people I should be continuously 
um, relating to, and um, whether that's a church community or a neighborhood community or school community. I have an amazing therapist named Georgia Dow, who's actually like has a huge Apple podcast, and she's just like the fieriest woman in the world. And she's really like all about like, have your cake and eat it too. She's like, if that's feeling good, go where that is. Don't dismiss that. Don't dismiss that goodness, that joy that you're feeling. Yeah. Lean into that thing. Yeah. And for me, yeah, that unfussy conversation really gives me permission to come back to that permission point again. Just go deep where the deepness is. You can feel it, right? Like I had one friend, I went to Vancouver this summer, my friend Salima Ibrahim, she's actually been on the podcast before. She's a two-time tech founder, former journalist. Like, we hardly see each other, but like it was the most nourishing yeah. <laughs> visit I've had probably this entire year. I mean, granted, we were like sitting on a log on the beach, looking at the Pacific Ocean. Uh. We checked a lot of boxes, you know, but like we just were straddling this log and staring each other straight in the eyes. And I was so nourished by our time together. And we're just like, more, please. <laughs> like both of us, like, yeah, we need more of this. And so like, we're just going to make that happen. And will it last four months? Will it last 40 years? Who knows? But we're going to lean into it right now. Do you happen to know your Myers-Briggs personality type? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I'm really not on those things. I like support them. I think they're yeah. really interesting. But no, I don't. Why? Do, what do you think I am? I have a feeling... I'm not sure if you're introverted or extroverted, probably leaning more introverted, INFJ. Yeah. And and that's yeah. also because I'm an INFJ, which is introverted, intuitive feeler. Mm. And INFJs, from what I understand, like we don't do small talk. We want to go deep. Like small talk makes us... Uh, <laughs> us want to throw up. Yep, that sounds right. Yeah, it's true. If my husband's there when I'm first meeting someone for the first time, he'll kind of like do a little aside to them, be like, "So it seems like she is um, interviewing you," or like <laughs> um, he says something a little bit less kind. But basically, like I'm just like hammering people, you know, with questions to like get into the meat of like who they are and what they're all about. Sometimes not so good at those. Yeah, but you're like, so is your job fulfilling right now? Do you love it? Yeah. <laughs> Like, we're going there. <laughs> what is your purpose statement? Yeah. You're a big fan of the front porch. Me too. Um, so what I mean by that is you write about how whatever house you've lived in, you really like to sort of camp out on the front porch. And it's an awesome way to make yourself available to neighbors and get to know people. How have you found physically making yourself available to your community increases your joy? We want to know our neighbors. It's so interesting how you can live right next to someone and not know their names or say hi to them for the longest time. So being out there, it's also a practice in visibility and being seen, yes. which is also like comes back to confidence and feeling powerful and knowing that community is everything. And also for us, it's been tricky. It's been a challenge because we've moved so much. So every community has felt like, oh, are we really staying here? Do I really want to bother getting to know my neighbors? <laughs> or am I just going to be leaving again? But just being there, like it's just a wave, waving at everyone. And I'm, I'm introverted. And sometimes I just don't want to talk to people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but but even, even having a practice of being the first one to say hello how are you? And even going beyond that, like, hi, how are you? Great. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> like, I love the new flowers you have out there. Those are great. I don't know anything about plants. I had this conversation with my neighbor yesterday. Like, I don't have any house plants. Maybe you can help me. She's like, oh, I'd love to come on over. We'll talk about this. Perfect. So it's staying present and noticing what's going on and observing is always, I don't want to say entertaining. <laughs> it's not like people are there for my entertainment, but just be able to sit on this out front and 
watching what's going on, observing what's happening. And then when you see people, you have an opportunity to make a connection based on something you've seen. I can't tell you how many times we haven't done it that much. But when we were packing up to move this spring, just down the block, like still in our same neighborhood, thankfully, we spent quite a few Friday pizza nights just sitting outside with our pizza boxes open on the front stairs eating as a family. And I can't tell you how much joy I think we brought to other people (laughs) just sitting out there and like lounging and laughing and eating our pizza there's something about just experiencing other people's joy being available seeing people relaxing like not constantly doing like you could be out there and you could be gardening you could be out there and you could be weed whacking whatever but you're just sitting there and there's something about that that I think is very inviting to others and yeah I'm a huge fan of the front porch I feel like the front porch could be like the revolution that saves us all (laughs) just sit on your porch just sit on your porch just know one another see one another and we really we had a big medical trauma earlier this year in our family our son had a huge sledding accident and was hospitalized and it was COVID and all the things in our neighborhood just it was amazing how all of these seeds I often think of weaving a web like in all of the relationships that you build it's like this web and I'd often talk about it but when he had this accident it was like the web caught us yeah like all of these little interconnecting and it was amazing too because you don't actually know who's going to come out of the woodwork yeah when something like that happens you think it might be x person but it's actually y like the person that you like hardly ever see but there she's like bringing like the biggest casserole on the planet to your front door like first person to call first person text heard through the grapevine it's like all of those little investments we make just that smile, that hello, that I'm, can I get your phone number to text you sometime and you never do, but then something happens. I think all of those decisions to be unfussy in our approach to building relationship actually can have huge long-term benefits for us. Yeah, that's so great that everyone stepped up. And and you're right, it is, it's like a web. And that unfussy approach to it, trusting that whatever interaction you're having does have an impact. Totally. No matter what, big or small. And I think the unfussy part is getting out of your head. Like, what do I say? Am I going to say the wrong thing? Like, stop thinking. Yes. (laughs) Just stop. Just say something. Just wave. Just wave. Yeah. If that's all you've got. Absolutely. This is the Jomo cast. I wanted to end on this note. How would you define Jomo or what does Jomo mean to you? It means being more present in my life, being focused, because if I'm focused and present, I'm happy. And being present in my life is, I think, the only thing I have to do. Like, that's my job. It's the only job. Like everything else, writer, author, mom, wife, dog owner, (laughs) being present for myself, myself first. And joyfully missing out on all those other things. Yeah. Because you're right where you are. Exactly. Thanks so much for being with me today, Jack. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review it, or share it with a friend. You're the key to spreading JOMO. The internet is not what it used to be. You need a roadmap to thrive in the digital age. I've created a new free JOMO guide and it's available now at christinacrook.com. JOMO is the joy of missing out on the right things, but sometimes it's difficult to know what those right things are. I'll guide you through a simple four-step digital house cleaning process to clear away your digital clutter and make it easier to get at what really matters. That's the joy of missing out. 
Get your free Jomo guide today at christinacrook.com.